0: Welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, a podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Uh, My name is Nosa Iyari, and today I have another New Yorker on the podcast. I don't know, for some reason, uh, like the last, I think maybe the last, maybe three out of five episodes I've done have been with (laughs) New Yorkers for some reason. I don't know what's going on. Maybe God is trying to tell me something, but I'm not moving back to the East Coast (laughs) still, but...
1: (laughs) Oh, oh man. are
0: you rich hackman? How's it going? How's the weather in New York today?
2: I'm good. The weather is great, which is not something that we say very often here. So <laughs> I bet <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> when is Tim's season in New York? Is it like November? Like when does winter uh start to to get to the East Coast? So it's like early, early winter 20, doesn't start.
2: No, winter doesn't start till February of, february of the next year <laughs> right
0: right 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 right. i mean on the east coast you never know sometimes
2: <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah it's true
0: <laughs> yeah i was just saying before we started recording that i'm sorry i'm making you do this during the holiday weekend i mean this is a long weekend here in the u.s labor day uh, most people are out there with their families or whatnot. And I didn't realize before I, I scheduled the interview that it was going to be a holiday weekend, you know, immigrant problems. We're still trying to adjust to the system and,
2: and Halloween and Labor Day
0: and 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 Thanksgiving and all this stuff. But But thanks for coming on.
2: Yeah, not a problem. Listen, I don't even know what Labor Day is for, right? I mean, what? I just hear, I hear Labor Day, and I'm like, I've been laboring my whole life. So I don't, uh-huh. I don't know why I'm celebrating this, but thank you for the day off, whatever. Um, yeah. bro, bro
0: is like, man, I've labored enough.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
0: Oh man, that's crazy! It's it's interesting how you know there's there, there's always a story behind all these holidays. You know, you hear about Thanksgiving a lot. You know, um, Thanksgiving disguised as a feast. Was it Jay Z who said that? Yeah. Uh, you know, story behind how all these holidays came into play. It's a interesting mix between colonialism and capitalism, and mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just just pretty interesting. What do you usually do on during the holiday like this? Uh, I
2: mean, my understanding labor day is usually just like uh, you know, it's welcoming the fall sort of thing and sort of like the last hurrah for summer, you know, the end of summer. So, lots of like last minute family barbecues and stuff like that going on and you know, just hanging out with friends, like trying to do some day parties or whatever, but I mean, I've never really been the kind of person to subscribe to quite a few of these holidays. I'm just thankful that I don't have to go to work on Monday.
0: (laughs) Nice, 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 nice. And speaking of work, um, so Rich, let me let me get this uh, description right. So he said before the interview, I shouldn't call him an artist, so I'm not going to call him an artist. (laughs) So I'm going to call Rich a storyteller uh i'm gonna call him a producer photographer an all-around creative and an entrepreneur is that correct yeah that sounds great (laughs) all right i guess storytelling is kind of like the way the way i look at you because you're involved in different things you know photography podcasting a little bit of music writing but in everything you do you tend to kind of like like have a narration going on like it's like you're trying to convey some type of message you know even with even with your screen today I know that this might be put out in audio format but even like with your background and everything it's like you're trying to tell a story like you have books behind you like where did that come (laughs) from like how talk to me about growing up let's dig dig back into rich as a boy like how was it like for you growing up where did you
2: grow up yeah okay so the the very abbreviated version and then we can dig into that later is um i was born in ghana west africa um and even from a very early age um i, I spent some time traveling uh with my family because my mother was a diplomat and so uh, as early as two years old i was living in what was then czechoslovakia the czech republic now um and you know hopping around from country to country going back to Ghana again, spending some time of my life there as well, and then moving to the U.S. And, you know, I've hopped between the U.S. and Ghana um, and a few other countries since then. So I think really at the root of it, though, you know, when you hear something like my background and my story, you immediately just, OK, that's very interesting and not like, typical, you know, and so it's like, what's the story there? And I think that's kind of what's defined me is because, you know, I've spent a lot of time having to tell my story to other people, but Um, You know, and not to mention, like, I'm sure you're familiar with our cultures. It's we're just very, you know, spoken word, passing down information from generation to generation through uh, telling stories and whatnot. And so it's that kind of thing's just been deeply ingrained in me from day one. And so it comes very effortlessly for me to just sort of like stop and think about things and then want to try and retell them in a very compelling way. Um, And so that has just naturally translated and evolved into the kind of work that I do, whether it is in photography, whether it's in video, whether it's in trying to compose some music. So, yeah, it's, you know, it goes way back to my roots
0: that's a very interesting background you know kind of like reminds me of how I grew up like my my dad was in the military and I did a lot of traveling as well locally though uh, within Nigeria but you know it's still you know that mix and mesh of cultures you know within different tribes of the country I guess you did it internationally were you an only sibling doing this or you had brothers and sisters
2: no I have two older brothers and so yeah the whole family moved together um, as a unit from country to country um, and there's even a part of the story where, um, and this was maybe when I was around 17, 16 or 17 years old, where we all went our separate ways uh, to go live in different parts of the world. And uh, we've kind of actually lived like that ever since. So it's kind of crazy Mm. (laughs) that even just expands the nature of the stories that we have. So, yeah.
0: And why was that? Was that kind of like school and work for you guys? Like you you guys and your parents, your parents had to work. You guys had to go to school and then different exactly, countries
2: exactly it was circumstance you know Um. so at some point not to put all my family's business out there but at oh. some point um, you know my mom was uh, she 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 got a new job working for the UN so she left the foreign ministry uh, the diplomatic foreign ministry in Ghana and then she went to work for the UN and so that meant that she had to go to I think it was Kosovo at the time um, and that kind of left the rest of us with like, all right, well, where what are where are we going to end up, sort of thing. And you know, so my dad ended up going back to Ghana to you know, sort of like finish building our house and everything like that. Uh, my oldest brother went off to Canada for college because um, he. Uh, Fun story there. He's a Canadian citizen, again, by virtue of like all the travel. So he went up there to go live. And then my middle brother went to uh, Baltimore, Maryland, which is on the East Coast here in the US to go uh, start college. And then I was going to finish high school. And I had this peculiar choice of whether I was going to go back home to Ghana with my dad or remain in the u.s with one of my mother's sisters Um, and she had a sister in minnesota she had a sister in california so i ended up going to high school in california on the west coast and ever since then like yeah we've been apart
0: (laughs) man man it's gonna be very interesting the world we're gonna live in at say 20 years from now like i'm nigerian right and there's this uh current trend we call it Japa or Japaization—it's kind of like the Great Migration, right, or the brain okay. drain, where everyone is leaving the country. And the most important app right now in Nigeria is WhatsApp, right? Because <laughs> yeah. families are so divided. You see, like a sister is in Ukraine somewhere, a brother in 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 the Hungary, another yeah. brother in the U.S., parents back home in Nigeria. So children uh, or parents are are like Nigerian children are like Nigerian Canadian or Nigerian American or Nigerian Hungarian and like kids will be like Hungarian or Canadian the world we're gonna live in where families are gonna be for lack of a better word like scattered all over the world that'll be a very interesting world to see how we're gonna interact and keep those you know family values alive for maybe our kids and our grandkids in the digital age but um you mentioned something earlier, like I've, I've interviewed a whole bunch of dip kids or, or you know, kids of diplomats. And I, I think okay. I interviewed someone whose dad was in the uh, Secret Service or something. And he did a bunch of traveling as well. Mm-hmm. And um, no one has ever mentioned what you said. You said it felt like you had to repeatedly tell your story to people every time you know so it's like you're reintroducing yourself every new place you go to while I can understand that on the surface obviously you have to introduce yourself hey my name is blah 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 rich I'm from Ghana you know this is why I went to school and just to make friends and stuff like peeling back the layers on that a little bit like when you were much younger did that interfere with you kind of like understanding your identity a little bit like You've been born in Ghana, you've been African, West African, having Ghanaian parents, like, was there a struggle understanding or having a sense of identity or understanding your roots for yourself before you could even like interpret that to others who you met during your journey?
2: Yeah, so the, I mean, it's a great question, and I get the sense that you you've definitely tapped into this part of the conversation from your other interviews with other dip kids and whatnot, right? Because I it's it's a it's a what's the word I'm looking for? It's a remnant of the experiences that we have, right? And mm. this remnant it's a it's an interesting thing because the, that word you can see it from either a positive or a negative connotation, right? And um, it the remnant is the fact that we we have a conflict of identity like most of us who have lived this kind of lifestyle growing up right and um so yes i definitely did and have experienced that and continue to but um you know what's interesting is as a kid it's just harder to make sense of that crisis of identity and you know your your parents are first generation wherever they're from and so they're they can't really they don't really have the tools and resources to kind of like steer you through this crisis of identity because you're growing up in various different cultures, you're you're assimilating these cultures into your identity and who you are. Um, meanwhile, your parents are like, "Oh, but you're from Ghana, or you know, whatever the thing." So like, <laughs> you're, you're like, you're like, it's like a battle between like, but you're raising me as a global citizen, and you right. also still want me to re- maintain this very strong core of Ghanaian-ness or wherever else you're from. And so over the years, you definitely do struggle with that. Um, and I will say, for me, you know, and probably most others who have the experience of going back and forth between their homeland and wherever they're currently residing, um, that that struggle becomes even exponentially more uh, just challenging because. Uh, you know, it's like wherever you're living, you're an other, you're different. People are always kind of questioning and trying to understand what makes you tick, what makes you who you are, because there's just something that they can't explain about you, which is why you spend all that time reintroducing yourself and why you are the way you are. But then you go home to your home country and you are you become an other there as well, because it's like, oh, you're also not quite like us. You know, you've lived abroad for a while your your mannerisms, your, the way you speak, the, you know, all these kind of things about you are different now. So, you know, you're still an other there. So you're kind of stuck between this tale of two cities and, you know, it, it's, it's challenging as a child, like navigating those kind of those thought processes, those conversations. Um, and it's only once you start to li- really like mature and, and even begin to fully accept that duality of who you are, that you start to embrace this not crisis of identity, but more maybe like a fullness of identity and like living into who you want to be like the potential behind having that. And then you start to see it more as like a, this, this empowering thing that like opens doors and creates opportunities for you. So, yeah.
0: I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. Like my Indian friends, I I think in India, they call it Desi. Um, so they're Indian when they're in America, but they're American when they're in India. It's yeah. like, like you said, stuck between two cities. It's like, man, I don't feel at home back home. I don't feel at home here. It's like, what do I do exactly? But but there's there's some type of power that comes with that, right? Like, and I say that myself, having grown up in Nigeria and lived in the U.S. for a little bit, like just having that different perspective, like, you know, not just the ability to code switch, but the ability to understand it from two different perspectives, right? Like even professionally, like mm-hmm. I, I'm a I'm a finance guy who like read accounting and have an MBA and work in finance. And now as an entrepreneur, I can like see it from two different perspectives. I'm like, oh, okay. Like mm-hmm. this is what is motivating to the financiers or whatnot. But this as an entrepreneur, these are the struggles you go through. And this was motivating to you. So you could kind of like, Unlike someone who's been stuck in one area, you know, for, exactly. for a long time. And that's kind of like one of the reasons I started this podcast, right? Like I've been lucky enough to talk to people from 50 different countries. I used to live in DC. So it's like a lot of international people who've traveled all over the world from Washington, DC. So people just get to, you know, tell these stories and, 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 kind of like tell me about the point where they realized they had a superpower so what was that point for you like was there a specific event or period of time where having experienced different things in different countries you actually like came to the realization oh wow that these experiences are actually good for me and I should embrace it going forward
2: yeah yeah I I can there are two very prominent, uh, instances in my life where I remember that happening. Um, and so the first one was, uh, I was in my senior year of high school and this was, uh, I, all throughout high school, I'd been participating in, uh, uh, an event called forensics, which is sort of like the speech and debate team, you know, and, um, you know, I, I had been, an introvert, I would say, and I still am to some extent, but I, I, at that point, I had been very introverted and speech and debate, this forensics program was my means of sort of like coming out of my shell a little bit. Um, And it really spoke to me because it was all about storytelling. It was all about taking other speeches, speeches people had written before and interpreting them through my lived and learned experience. And so, um, it was interesting to take a piece. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to spoil the end of the story a little bit because I think it's important. Um, I, I took a piece written by Martin Luther King um, called the drum majors instinct. And I won the state competition with that. So I'm a state champion doing speech nice. and In that. And Um, That was a pivotal moment for me in really coming to the fore of how my identity empowers me um, and how my lived experiences and this natural ability to tell stories um, and using personal anecdotes can really sort of like open people's eyes or make them sit back and go, wow, like, who is this person? Where did he come from? Like, how did he just do that? Um, and so for me, that was sort of like this huge pivotal moment coming out of high school and uh, leaving on a high. Um, and then the second time that that I felt that feeling again, but with an even greater level of urgency and importance was after graduating college, actually. So it's always the end of a new chapter for some reason, or the end of an old chapter into a new chapter. Um And so I had graduated college and, um, you know, like most international students, you have a year to live and work in the United States. um, And hopefully, you know, you're trying to get your your company to sponsor you to work and everything like that. And so, you know, I was doing that. And at the end of that year, I had a choice to make. Unfortunately, that year was 2008, which was the the great recession of our generation. Mm Um, and so I had a choice to make because there were no companies that were willing to sponsor me. Um, and so I was just like, "All right, you know, I'm I'm gonna go back to Ghana." And um, little did I know that I was going to spend the next three years in Ghana, you know, developing who I was, my identity, uh, my my goals, my ambitions as a this creative entrepreneur. Um, and so at first it was very scary, but when I made that commitment to do that, you know, a lot of things started happening, you know, first of all, like getting there, it was sort of like the tale of two cities we were talking about earlier, but then like over time, starting to talk to people, starting to get to know people, people getting to know me and realizing that I was so uniquely positioned, you know, in the experiences and the lived, uh, you know, just everything I'd been through in the U.S., and being in Ghana, being from Ghana, people acknowledging and respecting that duality and going, wow, you're there's something really special about you because like mm-hmm. you understand where we come from, you understand where you come from, where we come from. Um, and you're but you're able to translate that, like you know, if you're talking about from like a business perspective or like from an artistic perspective, social cultural, all these kinds of different perspectives. I'm able to translate my my identity, my, my Ghanaian identity, my Ghanaian culture into a global language in some sense, right? And that's something that people found very valuable um, because, you know, we're, when I went back and it still is the case now, there's so many people, organizations looking for means and ways to improve the society, the culture, the society. Um, and, you know, it uh, it's really difficult to, like, ha- be able to stand back and look at the bigger picture when you're living in the situation that you're trying to change, right, for so long. Um, and I think that's, I'm not going to bash any of our cultures here, but I think it, we have this issue in Africa where, and most places do, honestly, where it's like you've been in the system for so long And so, you know, when you're trying to improve it, uplift it, change it, um, you're almost at a loss for how to do that differently, right? And it sometimes requires that fresh perspective from outside to do that. But with that fresh perspective, you also don't want to lose who you are. So to have and to find somebody who sits on the boundaries of those two things is so vital, Right. And you mentioned the the phrase that I've heard very often, which is the brain drain um, of like people leaving their countries to go abroad and ending up staying abroad and all this sort of thing. But I think we're coming upon a time and a situation where a lot of us, at least my generation, who have had the benefit of living between both worlds are trying to go back and trying to figure out how we can reinvest into the country with our knowledge, with our finances, with whatever it is, right? And so that's really where you start to feel this sense of empowerment. Like, you know, no longer do I feel like I don't belong to this place, but there is a place for me. And I just have to show people that, you know this this can be to both of our benefits like i can feel like i'm being reintroduced into this country this culture and also i bring a lot of value back to us you know from having been away so i that's really where i i look at my life and i see a sense of this crisis that has become sort of an opportunity
0: and that's very interesting you know kind of like serving as a bridge uh you know okay you understand both sides so you're contributing positively by by taking some of the things you've learned uh, from both sides and kind of like crisscrossing and being that bridge maybe connecting people and things like that but with that comes another type of phenomenon, right? Uh, I think most Africans call it the savior complex. It's, it's yes. like, um, and I say this myself as having been on the other side, right? I moved to the US when I was 28, so much older, um, having gone to a Nigerian university for undergrad, having worked in the Nigerian banking sector and seeing how some Nigerian banks who hire some of these uh, UK grads from Leeds and, you know, King's College and University of Manchester and all these things, and they'll come back thinking, oh, you know, we can change the financial system overnight, you know, type yeah. of thing. That some people tend to have this savior complex. Some people are naturally curious um, to learn and contribute. Uh, some people just want to see, you know, their communities. I guess everyone wants to see their communities grow, but some people have this savior complex, you know, without Understanding the nuance of you know, you know the local technology or the culture locally. Just want to kind of like copy and paste, and that comes with some resistance, right? Uh, people back home who be like, "Hey, what do you, you think you know it all? Like this is how we've done things for years. Who says right. your your your, your way is better? That type of thing." Did you face any of that, and and what was like a particular instance if if you went
1: through that?
2: One hundred percent. Um, and <laughs> I I'm not gonna give a particular instance, but I will give sort of the general the general feeling. And so, um, when I and I will say I experienced that a hundred percent, like within the first year and a half that I was there, because. Yeah, you do come back with a whole bunch of ideas, right? It's sort of like and you're you're you want to go fast and, you know, without limits, right? Because it's like you're used to especially, you know, at least for me at the time uh, you know, living and working in New York City, it's like, you've got resources, you've got, you know, you you have access to a lot of stuff. And so it's like, the, the pace at which you're able to implement change is so radical and so, um, you know, empowering. And so you take that and you go back home, and the environment is completely different, right? It's, you know, you don't have as many resources, you don't have as much access, it's really all about who you know. And so if you try getting into doors talking about, well, you know, you're doing it this way and it's not the most efficient way, it's not the best way, um, I have the solution for you, you know, you just come off as somebody who's like, you know, you're, you're, what we, we say in Ghana is you're too known, you know, it's like you're, you're, <laughs> you're full of yourself kind of thing, you know? So it, it's like, it, and people don't respect that. They like, you know, they want to see that you've taken the time to like really understand the hardship right, and to 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 under to to communicate with them in such a way that they're used to. Um, and you know, sometimes that might mean that what you want to do takes a little bit longer. and you know, you need to be okay with that. you know, and uh, it's really if you are really trying to implement the kind of change that you're talking about, that you feel empowered about, it's really about asking the people who you're trying to serve, what do you really need in this moment? Right. Because like you're you're not going to create like I mean, one of the things I recall is like there are lots of primary schools, elementary schools in Ghana that like, you know, I could go there and I could say, listen, let me set up high speed Internet for you. You know, let me create this digital library for all your kids and stuff like that. And that might not be what they need. I mean, eventually you'll want them to get to that point, but maybe what they just need in that moment is like, okay, we we only have like five textbooks to share among 30 students. Can each student Mm -hmm. have their own textbook, right? So it's like the solution is much like, it's not as big, right? But it still makes a huge impact. And Mm -hmm. that's the starting point. And you need to be able to like really identify what that the challenge is and then speak to that challenge. And people respect you for like doing that. And then when they finally respect you, when you have that sort of good camaraderie, then they allow you to sort of like take more chances with the things that they need and to start to open up opportunities for them and for yourself. Um, And then you grow together. And that's really what's the most important part. You want to grow together. You don't want to be like, I'm here, like way up high, you're down here. And I'm trying to get you to where I am just by leaping. No, you got to hold the Mm -hmm. hand and you got to take that walk, you know, all the way up to the top. So I've definitely experienced that. And I will say in my third year that I was there is really when I started to feel like I was making the connections. I was starting to make a bit of a difference. You know, I had built up a bit of an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial business where I was doing creative branding, photography, videography for a few companies, you know, that were pretty well known and like, I was feeling like a, a big shot, but also like I was making a difference. Um, and, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, that's when I ended up moving back to the U.S. because I got married and, you know, yada, yada, yada long story there. So, <laughs> But that sense of urgency around going back and helping to improve is still deeply rooted within me. And I do go back now. I go back annually. Um, and it's not one of those situations where it's like some institutions like, okay, come and solve this thing for us, and you're the savior complex. I like I come from very humble beginnings. And you know, even though my mom was a diplomat, we were very humble and very uh hardworking um as a family. And so, you know, we always start with like the the real issue at hand Um, and you know even though we might want to like move fast and break things like Facebook would say we we take the time and we work with the processes and the systems that are in place and you know you understand that it, it might be better if you actually do it the long way, because then you actually do it the right way. If you do it the fast way, trying to help people, trying to improve things, it might not be sustainable, it might not stick, you know, and, and mm. like all the things that you did will be for naught. So
0: yeah. I guess I guess your intention kind of like justifies um that interaction. So what is your intention? Do you want to make yourself look good and like hey look at what i'm doing for my people back home are you truly like invested in the growth of your people and like you said you know growing together i love that analogy it's not like oh you want them to come to your level it's like well let's grow together and how can i contribute so um that that's very um I'm noble of of you, but let's talk about you coming back, right? And, and you did mention you getting married. Like I'm unmarried, so I always take the opportunity to ask any married person I have on <laughs> this podcast for advice, <laughs> because I don't know. Sometimes when I look at the institution of marriage, like man, like I don't know. Like I'm pretty fearless when it comes to a lot of things. Like grew up in the military family, lived in Nigeria, obviously, so I'm I'm pretty bold. In in a lot of things in my life, but marriage is one thing that I'll I'll admit. Like I'm I'm, I don't know. First things first, happy anniversary. I mean, I guess you, you know you just <laughs>
2: had like your two year anniversary, like last yeah. month or something well, like that. But, well. Uh, so so <laughs> full disclosure, this is. Two-year anniversary of my second marriage, so not the mm. first marriage that I was just referring to. Okay, um, so, and that's a you know for for if you're if you want to dig into the the sort of marriage advice marriage story, that's where we start, right? You start with well, what happened? And again, the, being the storyteller, I need to tell a bit of a story to actually get to the. Let's lesson, do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> So I mean, yeah. I, when I moved back from Ghana, it was because um, I was in a situation where I was in a long-distance relationship, and my ex-wife at the time was living in the U.S., and I was living in Ghana for those three years that I was there. And so it was really at the three-year point. Remember when I was starting to feel great and like you know I made some some roots back at, in Ghana. And I honestly thought, okay, I'm going to build my business here. I'm going to like, this is this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life sort of thing. And, um, you know, whatever happens in my relationship, will just make it work. Um, you know, but circumstance being that it is, you know, your plans don't always work out that way. So um, my ex-wife at the time was like, what are we doing? You know, is this still a long-distance relationship? Or are you making this official sort of thing? And, you know, I, I had to think long and hard about it. But, you know, okay, how how do you guys meet? Sorry to cut you short, but how do you how do you guys meet? We we met in college when I was here mm. in the US. So that's that's how we knew each other. Um, And so we started dating for that year after college when I was working in New York City. Um, and then it was like, well, I got to go back to Ghana. And she was like, well, what are we doing? And I was like, OK, let's let's try this. Let's try this. And so I was living there in Ghana and she came to visit a few times, you know, and we we were doing the best that we could with it. But I do not envy anybody in long distance relationships. Honestly, I won't say that they're Im- they're impossible, but they are really challenging. And you need to be at a certain level in your maturity, in your You know, just in your level of commitment in a relationship. And, you know, to be honest, I was not there. Um, I was, what, 20, 26, 27 at the time? No, no. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. It's been a decade. (laughs) (laughs) I just, like... I still kind of see myself as a young person, you know. <laughs> you, know you are young. T- what are you talking? Time, about? <laughs> time has, ugh, I don't feel it. <laughs> um, I've just been through a lot, and, and so, yeah. I um, circumstance brought me back to the U.S., uh, and we got married in Ghana, and then I moved back to the U.S. after getting all my. US paperwork and permanent residence and all that good stuff. Um, And then we were together for, we were married for five years uh, at that point uh, when we decided that it was no longer, uh, we were, it was a mutually, a mutual decision to end that marriage Um, and more on my part. And I'll be honest about that because I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Mm. And so if, if I have to give the biggest advice to anybody, uh, about commitment and getting married, make sure you're ready. You know, wow, about, and f-
0: about five years, though. I mean, you guys probably knew each other for a decade, like the years before the marriage, five we, years during
2: yeah, the marriage. Yeah, we all together, we knew each other and we were romantically involved about a decade, you know. So, yeah, l- there's a lot of history there. And, you know, that can be both a positive and a negative, but especially at that age, I will say. Um, because, you know, that's what I mean by make sure you're ready. It's like, get to know yourself, you know, make sure that you feel secure in the relationship. Make sure that you are having your needs met, that your partner is having their needs met. Make sure, you know, for me, I would say, and this is another piece of advice is if you come from a a sort of very, um, unstable upbringing and unstable isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just like very different. Like my diplomatic upbringing was very unstable. It was like, you're uprooted from one place to the other, all of that stuff. Um, Now my story includes a lot of unfortunate situations as well. Um, So if you come from an unstable upbringing um, and you're going into a relationship, you bring all of that with you. Right. And Mm. especially when you are that young, you know, and you haven't really like processed everything um, and you haven't really worked through the issues that are creating conflict in you and also in how you relate to others, especially romantically, Mm. Um, it's, it's going to come into your relationship. And, you know, so for me, that was a lot of what I was bringing to my first marriage and you know, while my ex-wife and I, we knew each other from when we were in college. And so we have had a little bit of history. She kind of understood a little bit of my background and who I was. And I understood about a bit about her background and who she was. When you're married and when you're living with a person, it it, you know, all of that stuff becomes exponentially more heightened and in your face. And like, if you're not mature enough, if you're not ready enough to kind of Tackle those challenges together and have like the patience and the grace to to work through those kinds of things. It's gonna blow up, and mm-hmm. you know, so that's kind of what happened. Um, And when I say blow up, I don't necessarily mean it ends badly. I just means that it comes to a point where you're just like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, right? And right. so then you have to make a decision. So after five years of being married. Um, got divorced. And, you know, I spent a lot of time soul searching um, and really getting right with myself because I wanted to make sure that the next relationship I got into, the next marriage that I had, that I was the best version of myself I could be for my new partner, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I will add that if anybody is kind of in that same situation Therapy, 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 and that's not (laughs) that's not a common thing for a young black guy to say. It is not. It's it's the thing that you need to do, right? Because you know, and especially, I'm gonna add on the little bit of culture to this because when you come from African cultures where it's like, um, I'll use Ghana specifically. I don't want to offend anybody. Um, you know, it's you come from a culture where it's very much like your parents tell you what you do and you're not really heard, you know, you're not really meant to have a voice, you know, it's like follow orders sort of thing. Um, It's very strict, very disciplined. You know, back in the day, we also used to beat our kids. So it's like, you, you come from that and, you know, you come to a place like the United States and it's like, you know, it's a, you see people treat their kids very differently. And that has such a a turbulent effect on you, that you need somebody to help you work through those kinds of thought processes and those issues, right? Um, And therapy is the best tool to do that. I know a lot of us think, well, we have our churches, we have our priests, you know, our counselors in our (laughs) our religious communities. That sounds very, very
0: African of you to say.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have to say it because that was what was said to me. You know, right. I tell people I go to therapy and, if, you know, they happen to be Ghanaian. They're like, you know, well, if you believed in God or if you went to church, if you're a Christian, then you wouldn't have these right. issues. I'm like, no, that's not true. Right. <laughs> so right. I have to say that, you know, um, you know, therapy has helped me uh, become. A better version of who I am in relationships. And so my marriage right now is so amazing. We're on our second anniversary, as you mentioned. Um, And we've got a almost two year old. And it's just I'm in such a different place, you know, but that's another part of my story that, you know, it's, it's impactful to understand how you are in relationships and how that translates into your life and what you want to do with your life going forward
0: right wow i mean you know that's so profound and you know i personally have been avoiding therapy for the longest uh and i keep coming up with this excuse it's not like i know that this will happen for sure but i just feel like if i start therapy like i just have so much stuff to unpack it's like i might not be able to function for like three to six months and then other areas of my life will suffer (laughs) that's what I keep telling myself it might be a justification for for holding on but it's interesting you said that that hey you know like you need to realize that you need to be ready and in a place where you know mentally and everything you're ready for this thing called marriage because you know if you're bringing all that baggage from all your experiences, going to carry forward kind of like to your marriage and that's profound advice right um the problem now comes into where okay you know we're, we're africans you know there's the age thing you're not getting any younger or yeah. you know or you will never be ready you know sometimes you just have to jump in and you know try to figure things out so i guess being as practical as you can for someone who's listening to this What are one or two very important signs that, hey, you know what, this is a perfect situation. But if for some reason you can't achieve that perfect situation, and maybe there's someone there who you feel you might want to go on this journey with, what are one or two signs you shouldn't, like, overlook? And if you overlook, it'll come back to bite you in the middle of the marriage type of thing, if you can speak to that.
2: Um, when you when you mean what are some of the signs do you mean some of the signs that you should commit or what exactly are you either way
0: to? like you you should what a, maybe let's say one or two signs that hey, you're not ready for this, you shouldn't do this mm. or maybe on the flip side a sign that hey it's okay like if this is covered, then maybe you can try to figure the rest out type of thing.
2: Yeah, you know, I I think it it comes down to something very simple that people have heard over and over again and that's communication, right? So, you know, if you're in a relationship, if you have a partner, um, you know, I think first of all I want to encourage people to explore each other a little bit more, right? I don't I think people rush their relationships to be honest. Um, at least this has been my personal experience. Um, people don't spend enough time getting to really know each other. Like, yes, you know, move in with somebody, you know, not necessarily just because like it's the next step or like, it's what you think you're supposed to do because marriage is coming next or whatever, like, you know, move in with them, see how they live, you know, when, when you when you're not living together for example it's like you don't know how messy the person is you know you don't know if that's gonna bother you or not you don't know you know you don't know their like idiosyncrasies like the things that really make them tick because like all you know is you're, you're you go on a date together and it's like you're both trying to be the best version of yourselves and you're selling each other on like this idyllic and perfect you know person mm-hmm. and that's that's not really who you are from the day to day And so like things like choosing to live together or like, you know, just how how you how you deal with challenges together. And so that's why I kind of jumped to living together, because when you're dating, it's really hard for situations to come up where it's like you're both in it together and you're challenged by it. And so you have to communicate to figure it out. Right. Um, So it's really in seeing and understanding how you communicate with each other that kind of gives you a hint about oh we can do this or oh we're not right for each other because you know it's very telling you know when when all hell breaks loose and like when you're having your worst day it's very telling how you respond to your partner and how your partner responds to you Right. Mm. And and how like whether there's a level of grace to it, whether there's like understanding and empathy, whether it's like a we're in this together or it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you're going through that. OK, that's your problem. Right. You know, it, mm. it's th- there are any number of different ways those kinds of situations could go. But those situations are very telling. Right. I've had a number of instances in my current marriage where it's like, we've been furious at each other. We've been mad at each other. And then it's like, okay, what are we going to do about this? Right. And so it's like, you're able to de-escalate. you're able to comfort each other. You're able to process together. And then you're able to start working on a solution together. And that's like, that's why I keep using the word partnership, right? It's mm. you're in this together. You have to feel like the other person's got your back, you've got their back, you know, because, Life throws so many things at you, you know, and those things just keep getting harder and harder. But if your communication and if the way you work through those relationship issues becomes better and better, it starts to feel a little bit less hard to deal with those things. Right. So I think paying close attention to that, how you communicate, how you work together on things will give you some insight as to All right, this is good for the long term or like, unless either one of us can like, start to grow ourselves start to become a little bit, you know, more mature about how we handle these situations, maybe it's not for the best and that's okay too
0: oh that's that's very profound and thank you thank you for saying that like i just when you mentioned moving together i could feel the african aunties who are listening to this kind of like pulling out their hair <laughs> it is yeah. what it is we are in 2022 so <laughs>
2: Listen, I, I i know some of the things I said are easier said than done i want to acknowledge right. that. i mean i'm one of those people where i grew up uh, kind of separated from my family so i got a i got away with a lot of things that maybe some other people won't feel like they could, you know, and you know, but we're also like you said, we're in a different age now. And right. you know, you, it, know what you
0: remind me of like, you remind me of a friend of mine, Andrea. Um, she's she's a member of Pod Break, this thing that we do, like a group of African podcasters, and she also has like Ghanaian and Ugandan heritage, and kind of like she, I think she grew up in like upstate New York, has some mm-hmm. of those travel experiences and whatnot like like when i interviewed her and when i'm interviewing you i'm kind of like getting the same energy maybe i should connect you to. she's also a creative person as well um uh maybe i should connect you to. maybe you guys can do something like professionally or, or something but um but yeah i mean speaking cool. of uh communication like let's pivot that and talk about your music a little bit now um, you always say you're a storyteller, you're not necessarily a musician, so I will not call you a musician, but there's this powerful um, story you wrote in form of a song, right, called Remember Me, right, like I was in Ghana uh, for an internship in the summer of 2018, right, and I, you know, I, I stayed in Elmina for a couple of days, uh, I stayed in Northridge, and I, we went to all kinds of places, Lee and and All these places around around ghana and it was like one of the most interesting and insightful like i say this being nigeria like being nigerian like an hour away by flight (laughs) and it was one of the most insightful i had never like paid attention to my culture as an african as when i went to ghana and i just felt connected to the land like you writing remember me obviously partly inspired by your journey to elmina which is kind of like the slave castle that the portuguese built to kind of like whisk you know people away from from the west african coast um how did you come about let's talk about a little bit about your musical journey how you stumbled or deliberately started that and then particularly about the song remember me like how that came into being how, how in god's name did you work yeah. that those lyrics to produce something so insightful
2: all right, yeah. Um, so like almost every good Ghanaian boy or girl, um, I was very active in the church when I was younger. <laughs> and mm, so the African just would the- be smiling now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I was uh I was a choir boy. Uh, you know, me and my brothers, uh my brothers and I were in the choir. And um yeah, you know, very from a very young age, like we, we definitely had music in our family. You know, both my parents uh, were also part of their, you know, men's fellowship and women's fellowship groups. And so they were also, you know, musical, if not musicians themselves. Um, and so when we joined the choir, it was just sort of like a natural progression for us. Um, my mom, I believe, also uh if I recall correctly, she hired a piano teacher for us, you know, when I was about five or something like that. And so, you know, we were playing piano at home, singing in a choir at church. Um, And that's where I got started. And I really loved music. And you know, they really do teach you like the the fundamentals of music when you're in the choir. So it's like there are different parts, the soprano, alto, tenor, bass, you know, all those sort of things. And when you're younger, you have a bit of a higher voice. So you start off singing the higher parts, the soprano, and then as you get older, your voice deepens. And so you become an alto, a tenor. And so you, you really start to learn all the different parts of it. And I just enjoyed that journey, that musicality to it. Um, and getting to try different things with my voice and also now having the piano accompaniment with it as I was learning that. Um, You know, fast forward many years and, you know, I was in college and I decided I wanted to try my hand out at musical, uh, at at doing uh, theater, sorry. And so I really enjoyed theater, you know, being the storyteller that I am, you know, having done the whole speech and debate program, like Part of me was like, I meant to be on the stage, honestly. And at at some point I thought I was even going to be an actor. Um, So I spent a good four years. I spent a good four years in the theater, you know, learning all the different parts, the acting, the producing, the directing, but also getting to be in musical productions and things like that. So, you know, I learned to bring a sense of drama um, and, and this sort of deep craft of storytelling to, you know, making music and I I'd never really been doing music professionally in any sort of way I'd always been you know on my computer at home like coming up with little melodies and harmonies and recording them but like never sharing them they never see the light of day to be honest um so yeah I probably have like I don't know five or six albums <laughs> ready to go wow. at some point you know <laughs> Um, But I've also just never been that confident in my ability to create music, write music, um, and perform music. Introvert problems, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, So, you know, fast forward to, you know, I think it was, it's not that long ago, a couple of months ago. Um, you know, my wife, my my current marriage, my wife, she's sees me just like always like humming, singing to myself or like in my office, like creating little beats and melodies and things like that. I have my keyboard over here. I've got my microphones, um, you know, and she she just sees how much music is a passion for me and that I don't really do much with it. Um, and so she, for my birthday, I think it was, so yeah, this was May 2022. Um, for my birthday, she goes online and she subscribes to a songwriting course um, with the musician Her. Um, most people have probably heard of her by now. Um, and it's basically like a 30-day intensive uh, where you and 20 other songwriters are working on two songs um, of your own making um, and like getting feedback off of each other and like just really working to to perfect it. So the song that I wrote, Remember Me, was as a result of taking that songwriting course. Um, And, you know, it it was something deeply profound about it because The way in which they kind of taught you the songwriting was like, there are two ways you could do it. You could either start with the lyrics or you can start with the actual song, the melody, the beat, um, all of that kind of stuff. Um, And so Remember Me was one of those where I just started like messing around on the keyboard, on the piano And what I thought I was creating was like this tragic love story of some sort because it just sounded dark. It just sounded rich. Um, And then I started putting words to it. And it's one of those things where I don't think people really understand, but the song wrote itself. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't write this song. The song wrote itself, right? It was, the words felt like it's, you know, you're just playing on the keyboard and you're humming and then like certain sounds go with certain words. And when you start putting those words together, then there's a message, there's a story that comes out of it. And so really, really organically is how I wrote this song, Remember Me. And it just started bringing up these feelings of like, my thoughts of my motherland, my country, the history that's been associated with it, this dark history of slavery, um, and, you know, recalling the images of, like, how beautiful it is, but also in these beautiful images are these big white castles that have a tragic history of, you know, more than hundreds of thousands of slaves passing through them, and so this dichotomy of you know what a beautiful place but what a dark dark place as well and so I just started writing about that and you know I'm really proud of this song and at some point like this song needs to get produced professionally and maybe be part of a Broadway show to be honest but again I can see that I'm 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 still at that point where I'm like you know, I just love to do this for fun. I, I don't want the pressure of, like, making Man. it a professional thing, you know. Right.
0: So. <laughs> I mean, you are in New York where all the record labels are. So It's, <laughs> it's, it's like...
2: the perfect place. I have no excuse, but, you yeah. know, <laughs> I'm doing yeah, no, my I t- own way.
0: <laughs> listening to the song, and I think listeners are kind of like, what is this song we're talking about? Like, listening to this song, like, you can feel it like I know that there was a deeper story you're not just like writing this like to be commercial or something that there's some kind of debt to it and I guess what we can do I don't know if you have any copyright or anything for the song I guess we can put it at the end of the episode so uh listeners get to kind of like hear what we're talking about um but yeah it's it's something that I personally connected with and I think anyone that has African heritage will, will personally connect with well, hey, um, let me let me just say thank you, man, like for, for coming on the podcast, sharing some of your story to kind of like wrap up. Uh, you know, you're, you're this person who's been trying to communicate with the world all his life, right? Whether well, that's through photography, songwriting, podcasting, being a creative in general, like you've been trying to tell different stories all throughout your life. What is the story you'd love people to tell about you? Like what what do you want to be your legacy like in the future, whether that's relating to you as a person or the motherland, like what would you want your story to be?
2: Okay, I have I have the short answer and then I'll have a little bit of a longer answer. The the short answer is something that Drake has said. So here for a good time, not for a long time. Oh <laughs> man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um the the more serious answer is um, yeah, no, I mean the thing that I I've always loved flying under the radar, to be honest. Um, and the thing about that is I've always liked helping people. It's always been, it's my passion and my purpose to help others um, in whatever way, shape, or form that they need and um, that I am capable of providing. And so the way in which I thought and that I felt I can do that most is by helping others also tell their stories, whether it's personal stories, professional stories, whatever the case might be. and so my legacy is to live on in other people's stories. I want people mm-hmm. to be able to tell stories um, you know, that move others to to either change to, you know, help the younger generation, like just figuring out who they are, this whole conversation we've had about identity, you know, it, it all stems from being able to to communicate and to share our stories and so if I'm able to help people effectively do that um, and people remember me for having done that that's more than enough for me
0: nice and I like that pun that people remember me <laughs> man how can people reach out to you man like if people want to uh, work with you people have a uh, follow-up questions um, you know you want to give out like your social media your email, your social security number, your, your birth
2: <laughs> please no no four one nine over here, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so you can easily just you know check out my website. It's, it's always a good starting place. Um, richardhackman.com. Um, you know, you can always follow me on Instagram whereas where I'm most active. Um again, but that's just for casual, you know, I I love to meet people that way. And my Instagram is at hackman.rich. Um and yeah, you can reach out to me either via my website or via Instagram and just say, Hey, I heard you on the podcast. I'd love to get to know you better, or let's work together. I'd like to collaborate somehow. And that's that's where it begins and i want to hear your story so
0: nice nice and to end the episode um obviously culture class you know same as always you know you guys can reach out to us as well culturalclasspodcast.com culture class podcast on all social media Uh, but to kind of like end episode i want to say again thank you rich for coming on and we'll insert um your song remember me uh so people can can feel what i felt but till next time guys be well
1: hidden in the trees Covered in their golden leaves Across the sea There's a place where I am from There are castles in the sand It used to be the promised land When we were free There's a place where I belong Where they stole the sons of man and took him to a foreign land. He worked on his knees. There's a place where I am from. There are ashes in the ground. No records to be found. Lord, remember me. Remember me. there's a place where i belong they were kings of all the lands Army stood at their command all powerful there's a place where i am from it was rich in land and gold plenty for the young and old our legacy there's a place where I belong where my mother could be sold with only stories to be told so long ago there's a place where I am from the only shackles that still remain are the poverty and pain Lord remember me Be the promised land. Oh.